podcast from Hope Church Gainsborough. For more information, visit www.hopechurchgainsborough.co.uk. Um, we've been looking, haven't we, at the in-between. You know that moment? Those in-between moments that we face between decisions. Decisions, God willing, that are for God, that have God at the very centre. And there's moments then between that and the moment that we're waiting for where it comes to fruition, where it comes into action. The in-between, as we've already seen with a couple of characters in the Bible, is quite a scary place. But it's also a place of growth spiritually as we seek God's will, his timing, and we trust him to know when and what direction is best. That all sounds so easy, as I've just said it. (laughs) I don't believe for a second that it is as easy as that. But nevertheless, as we drill down into the word of God, we want it to teach us, don't we? To shape us, to knock off those bits that are no good and to mould us into what God wants us to be. We've seen Noah and we've seen Jehoshaphat, who was king of Judah, both in different situations at very different times, yet both of them experienced an in-between moment with God. And today, we're going to take a snapshot, and it is just a snapshot, um, of the life of a king's cupbearer. You're all thinking you know who it is. Oh, I've already told you. It's a man called Nehemiah. Now, we enter the story as we have a look in chapter 1. We enter the story, though, in a time when Israel is returning from exile after Jerusalem has been destroyed and the people have been scattered and captured by the Babylonians. Since that time, though, of that destruction and the exile to Babylon, the Babylonian Empire has now been defeated, and the Persians have taken over. The Persian king Cyrus is at the time that we're the next stage on, even from him, that he, when he took over the Babylonian Empire, released the prisoners and allowed them to go back to their hometowns or to at least go and settle where they wished to settle. And that also included the Jews. Some returned to Jerusalem, although, as we'll see, Jerusalem is in ruins. And because of that, others decided to settle elsewhere. So let's have a look and let's meet Nehemiah, chapter 1, Um, It's only 11 verses to do the entire chapter, so uh, work with me because it will enable us to just set the scene. Um, The words of Nehemiah. In the month of Kislev, in the twelfth year, while I was at the citadel of Susa, Hanani, you're welcome, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, Nehemiah speaking in the 
first person, not me. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, I'm going to go back a little bit. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, note the capitals, Yahweh. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you're exiled, people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servant who de servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that as we look into your word now, Father, as we set the scene, we pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us through it. Father, use me. Father, that we might just hear something more of your wonder and your beauty today. Father, something that might help us to step into tomorrow, knowing that you are with us. Father, in the in-between, that you are right there. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, Nehemiah is a man with a very highly trusted job. A job to the Persian king, Artaxerxes. You are also welcome. Being the cupbearer meant that Nehemiah was indeed probably, aside from the commander, he was the top dog. Now you say, how is that possible? Because he's not making decisions. No, he's not. But if you want to poison the king, the quickest and fastest way to do that is via his drink. So the person who's in control of the cup, who is the cupbearer to the king, is the man that literally holds the king's life in his hand. So naturally, the king isn't going to select somebody who he does not trust. He's not going to select somebody that he thinks may well do the dirty on him. He's not going to select somebody who isn't faithful, who isn't loyal, who isn't indeed honourable. Because if you wanted to kill him, then that was a quick way. So the job was reserved for the most honourable of people. Now, Nehemiah's faithfulness, Nehemiah's diligence in these moments, as we understand his position before this King Artaxerxes, shouldn't be, cannot be overlooked. Why? Well, because it sets the scene for the entirety of what's to come. 
Because Nehemiah was a man who had a heart after God. He was a man who went to work and worked as though he was working for the Lord. Amen? That's the kind of guy, the kind of gal we want to be. We want to be people that go and work as though we're working for the Lord. That we are honourable, that we are trustworthy, that we are faithful, that we do what's right. That we can be trusted even in the most complex and most difficult of scenarios. And Nehemiah's faithfulness in the day-to-day had got him to a position where he had an audience with the king on a daily basis. And this would be absolutely vital for what the Lord's about to lay onto his heart. We read in chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, that Nehemiah's brother had been to Jerusalem. And he'd seen the state of the city and the state that the people are in. It says in verse 3 that the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. It's in a mess. It's in a sorry state. And God then doesn't leave it like that. He holds fast to his promise, but he needs to raise somebody up in order to bring about his promise. Don't we see God do that through and throughout scripture? He raises people up in order to carry out the plan that God has set in motion. And here he raises up this man, Nehemiah, this cupbearer to the king. And he places what I can only describe, and perhaps you will view this differently, but he places on this man's heart what looks like the impossible. It looks like something that just doesn't seem even remotely possible from the position that he is in. God says in the quiet with Nehemiah that I want you to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I want you to rehouse the Israelites. I want you to set my place back in motion. And in the quiet, in those moments back in verse 4, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed. And after he'd done that, in the quiet, not in the noise, in the quiet, God settles on his heart that I want you, Nehemiah, to do the impossible. I want you to action the impossible. Now, when I read these moments and the prayer that Nehemiah brings to God, I love where he begins. Listen, he says, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, listen, who keeps his covenant, his promise of love with those who love him and keep his commands. You see, because Nehemiah has spent time in the quiet, be still and know that I'm God, because he's spent time fasting and praying, because he spent time focusing on God. He's starting in the right place. God, this is who you are, this is how you are, and this is what you've said you are. And that sets the tone then for Nehemiah 2 to realise who he is. Let your ear, verse 6, be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Listen, I confess the sins we, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. 
He says, we have acted, verse 7, wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Now, God knows our heart, does he? Question, answer, yes he does. He knows your heart. That's a scary thing, isn't it? The reality is, I don't always want to know my own heart. God knows your heart. But listen, Nehemiah also, as though he has to remind God, and it's not Nehemiah reminding God, it's here for us to see that God knew full well, because he knows our heart, that we'll make mistakes. He he knows our failures and our flaws, and still, mind-blowingly, he loves us. Still, he loves us. Listen, remember, he says, we've acted wickedly uh, in verse 7 towards you. Verse 8, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, he said this, if you are unfaithful, tick, I will scatter you among the nations. Tick. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you are an exiled people at the farthest horizon, tick, I will, not I might, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. It's almost as though God knew that this, oh, okay. Yeah, let that settle. You see, the reality is that God indeed knows our hearts. He knows who we are. The Bible tells us he knows when we sit. He knows when we sit. He knows when we're up. He knows when we're awake. He knows when we're attentive. He knows the words on our tongue before we even utter them. God knows us completely. Every hair on your head, he knows you. The Bible says he knit us together in our mother's womb, in our inmost being. He knows us fully. And again, I make the claim... And he still loves you. And he still loves his children. Even though he knows the failures and flaws. So Nehemiah here reminds himself, he reminds the reader, and I don't think he's reminding God, but he's just making sure that he knows, that we know, that Nehemiah knows, that this is what God has indeed promised. This, I would argue, as we look at what Nehemiah is doing, bringing his sin before God, saying who God is, bringing his sin before God, and then saying, God, this is who you are, sets him in the right trajectory to follow through on the plan that God has laid in his heart. It's the right and only place to start. A place where Nehemiah, and of course ourselves, we lay it all before God, knowing that his great love for us and his promises are indeed yes and amen. Nehemiah references the, the, the books of the law, he references Leviticus, he, re- he references Deuteronomy, and he also references Je- uh, Jeremiah to remind God and us as the reader and himself of his word. But we today are in a very similar position. Because when we uh, find ourselves in these moments where God lays things on our heart and we get to this moment of in-between, 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the God that we serve. We're not stuck in the sin and the failure. God can deal with it. 
God can make a way where there is no way. And when God lays things on our heart that says, this is what I want you to do, the first thing that we have to do is make sure that we are right before him. So often, Lol and I have a conversation about what we want, what we believe God wants to happen at church. And the very first thing that we always come back to, because if not, we're in a mess, is God, are we right before you? Because we want you to bless us. Isn't that what we want as a church? God, I want you to bless Hope Church. So Lord, let us allow you. That means we have to deal with the sin in our hearts, the sin in our lives. And we say, God, we are sorry for what we've done. We know that if we bring our sin to you, if we confess it, then you are faithful, you are just. And your word doesn't say that you might forgive. Your word says that you will forgive, that it will be dealt with. The word tells us that he's placed our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. It can't be measured. It's done with, finished. This is the God that we worship. There's a fantastic little verse in Hosea that says that God has placed our transgressions into the depths of the ocean. There's one thing missing in heaven. Revelation 21 says there is no sea. It's done with. It's gone. If my sin has been placed into the depths of the ocean as far as the east is from the west, when I get to glory, there is no sea. It's done with. This is the God that we worship, amen? This is the God that we worship. He is the God of the impossible. He's the God of uh, righteousness. He's the God who is able to judge justly. He's the God who is able, church, to forgive. That's the God that we worship. So Nehemiah sets the tone and he asks God too then to grant him favour before the king. The in-between now is in full flow. God has prompted Nehemiah's heart. And how can we, how can he know, how do we know that it's right? How can we be sure? And so often, again as a church, we've talked about this. That, Lord, I want to know that these next steps, these next decisions are right or in your will. I believe, we believe that you've laid this on our heart. Now, Lord, help us to pray appropriately. Help us to make sure that we pray the right prayers. We can't just be scatty with our prayers. We have to be very precise and say, God, this is where I need help. This is the first step. And Nehemiah is saying, right, the first step is give your servant, verse 11... Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. This is the king, okay? Nehemiah started in the right place. He spoke to the king of kings. And now he's talking to the king. And he says, God, grant me favour. Now the in-between, as we say, is in full motion. And naturally, we have doubts, we have fears, we have worries that perhaps what we think, what we think we know, what we think we heard is the right way to go. But there's also excitement in that because we, we're testing the water. We're making sure, we're pushing the doors. And if the doors fling open, then we know what we're doing is right. And this is exactly what Nehemiah does. He comes to the king as bold as he is. The king says to him, why are you so downcast in chapter 2? I've never seen you sad before. Because the joy of the Lord was his strength. So why is he sad? This is out of character, Nehemiah. What's wrong? And he's like, well, Jerusalem, my home, is in ruins. How can I possibly be happy? 
It's in a, in a mess. The Babylonians destroyed it. They've smashed the walls. They've set fire to the gates. And I want to do something. And the king's like, okay, what do you want to do? Well, I want to rebuild the walls. I want to put the gates back in place. And the king's like, well, listen, let's just be honest. You're a cupbearer. I don't know whether he's qualified for the job. Do you think he is? I'm not so sure. But you see, at so many times throughout Scripture, God is not calling those that are qualified, is he? He's qualifying the called. He's saying, this is what I want you to do, and I'm going to give you the strength to do it. Philippians 4.13, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even the things that I thought were outside of my remit, that I did not think would ever be possible, that God, you're able to do through me if I submit my life to your will and say, okay, this is what you want me to do, Lord, but I have no qualifications in building a wall. I have no qualifications in building gates. But God, if this is what you want, then make it known as I bring this to the king. And the king's like, yeah, okay, go make it happen. How long is it going to take? A while. It didn't take him long to build the wall, to be fair. 52 days. You can see that in chapter 6, I believe. Didn't take him long to build the walls at all. But of course, the city was in ruins. There were no dwellings. There were no people living there. Certainly not in a suitable state. It was a mess. So roundabout, King, hmm, 12, 13 years, somewhere around there. Oh, that's a while. What am I going to do for drink in the meantime? But the king grants his request. The king doesn't just say, okay, be off with you. The king says, right, here's some people to look after you. Here's some letters in order that you can have safe passage. And here's another letter to say that you can have whatever material you want from the kingdom. I mean, that's not bad, is it? You know, here's a guy who started the day on his hands and knees in fasting and in prayer saying, God, we have made a mess here. This is a complete and utter mess. And God's like, I know it is, but you're the man there, Maya. You've got a heart after my people. You are the man for the job. And Nehemiah's like, okay, well, I didn't see that coming, but I like it. Let's make this happen. Now what? Well, you've got to speak to the king. Just so happens, because of his faithfulness, because of his diligence and his honour, he's in a position where he is able to speak to the king. Listen, you and I, in 2022, may not be tasked with rebuilding Jerusalem's walls, but I am absolutely certain we are tasked with marching forward onto enemy territory. A place where walls and gates have been destroyed, where gates have been set fire, where war has ravaged in people's hearts. We're tasked with moving forward, church, with our armour on, pushing forward for God. What should we do? Listen what Nehemiah prayed so clearly. When I heard these things, verse 4 of chapter 1, I sat down and I wept for some days. I mourned, I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Psalm 121 verse 1 and 2 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Where else do we draw our strength? Where else do we go for, for help than the maker, church? The maker of heaven and earth. 
I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where do I start, God? Start on our knees. Where do we start? In the middle of the, the in-between, in the difficult moments, where should we be? We should be on our knees. Nehemiah comes up naturally against opposition and ridicule as you read on. But it does not, it will not, church I'd argue it cannot stop him. Because God is on his side. The walls are rebuilt. God planted the seed in Nehemiah's heart. And church, not for a spoiler alert. But God delivered. I'm yet to find somewhere where he doesn't deliver. He always, but always delivers. Nehemiah was focused in the in-between. He was driven. He was faithful and diligent during the in-between. And God did not let him down. He did not let his children Israel down. May we know, church, the very same in our lives. Tomorrow, as we face life head on, we need to focus on what God has said. Let's cling to his promises and let's push forward whatever the obstacles, knowing, church, that he is in absolute control. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, again, we just want to thank you for your word, Father, for its encouragement, Father, for its blessing. And we just pray, Lord God, that you would help us to focus in the moments that, Father, in our day to day that seem mundane, that, Father, that we'd be living our lives for you, that we'd be pushing forward for you, that we'd make sure that our eyes are fixed on you. Help us to keep focus, Lord, even in the quiet, that we're ready to serve you whenever you call. So, Lord, again, we just thank you for this time that we've been able to spend in your presence. Bless us now, we pray, as we continue our worship. We ask these prayers in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. This has been a podcast by Hope Church Gainsborough. For more information, visit www.hopechurchgainsborough.co.uk.